0: Hey, do you know how I get private access to the open internet? With a VPN, of course, but not just any VPN. I use Surfshark. With Surfshark, I eliminated problems like ad manipulation, price discrimination whenever I purchase online, identity theft, and tracking in general. I can also access streaming platforms like Netflix, Disney+, Prime Video, and many others from anywhere in the world. Last time I was in the US, some of my favorite series magically became available because I connected to UK with Surfshark. Surfshark encrypts all the internet traffic sent to and from all my devices and it hides my IP address so nobody can see what I do online. And all that with one simple click. If you use coupon code data science, you get 83% off for a two years plan and three additional months for free. That makes... 27 months for less than $60 or 50 euros. So get Surfshark at surfshark.deals slash data science and protect your privacy now. Check the show notes of this episode at datascienceatom.com and get your coupon code for free. welcome back indeed i am uh, very glad to start another episode about uh, rust it's not a mystery anymore that uh, i am uh, so much in love with rust and uh, i'm trying to replace whenever i can you know all the python uh, based engines and uh, and uh, code that i've written so far um, of course when i have the time and when i have the uh, the opportunity and the particular use case, I always encourage myself into migrating into uh, into Rust. And so rewriting some of the code that I wrote in the years, um, as a you know, in, in, in this new language, which is definitely impressing me uh, every day I use it. So well, today, we are going to speak about something that the folks of this episode definitely do on a daily basis, which is data manipulation. And um, by data manipulation, I mean, probably the number one library that everybody's using out there, which is pandas. And so pandas is the, you know, some kind of the de facto standard of uh, data manipulation in, um, in the community used by the industry used by, you know, in our personal projects, pandas is the way to go when you want to, for example, import a, a CSV file or Uh, you can even read directly from S3 bucket in Amazon or wherever your data or raw data is, uh, you can import these things into an internal representation that is the, the representation of Pandas that is essentially putting stuff in memory. It exposes an API that is essentially a way to manipulate the internal representation of your data frame. And so you can start slicing things, you can start selecting records or rows, selecting columns changing values joining merging mutating stuff grouping by all this stuff we know how it works we know how comfortable pandas is and it is a very nice piece of software i mean i have i grew up on pandas and (laughs) probably uh, i hopefully will not die on pandas (laughs) because there are many other ways of doing the same things and of course there is a little higher price to pay uh, sometimes but the uh, results and uh, the performance that you bring home can be really astonishing. And so today in this episode, I would like to make a direct comparison between Pandas and Rust because there are some benchmarks and some source code that allows you to do exactly the same on exactly the same benchmark data. In particular, I will be referring to a data frame of 160,000 lines or rows and 130 columns. So it's a pretty large, though not very large data frame of about 150 megabytes. This size has been chosen because uh, there is a a post that I definitely report in the show notes of this episode that it has really intrigued me about this direct performance uh, evaluation between pandas and rust. And so I will try to draw some conclusion out of this experiment. uh, What is good and when Uh, and why you probably should or would like to spend a bit more time learning Rust or definitely getting closer to it. So what is Pandas? Pandas, as I said, is the de facto standard for reading and manipulating files uh, or data in general. With this example, I will go with the CSV, which is probably the most common data format out there, though not the the best in terms of um, uh, efficiency or performance it's not a binary, remember, so uh, computers are much better with binary stuff than, than text. But anyway, the CSV is recognized format everywhere. And so let's go with that. Well, the first thing that you would like to do when, you know, before manipulating data, of course, is loading data. This is something that we are all familiar with. Uh, the read CSV, is one command from pandas, no big deal there, one line of code, provide the path where the CSV file is and you're good to go. What you have is the handle to a data frame, so-called Pandas data frame, that allows you to, you know, start working on the manipulation part. When it comes to Rust, of course, there is much more code to write. Though there are crates that already provide you and, you know, it's an easy job. There is the CSV crate, uh, which is very well written, though it's a bit more complex than... Uh, Than the simple read CSV from pandas due to the fact that you are going low-level here So with rust uh, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes on this show Rust is a low-level language. All right. It's not garbage collected. You have to take care of everything Um, If you want speed uh, if you want to drive a Ferrari you know You have to know how the engine works And especially if you want to push that Ferrari to its limit, you have to know how the internals of that car work because you have to inform your engineers that that something is not going well or you can exploit some of the hardware capabilities of your Ferrari so that you can uh, improve uh, and increase the speed, right? So that's exactly the same concept with Rust. You are low level, you are right in front of your machine like the hardware stuff. And so you can optimize your code as fast as your hardware allows. Rust and manipulating data can be kind of an overshoot. It was a few years ago. Now that these crates are out and they are becoming more and more mature, it's becoming, I'm not saying a piece of cake, but, you know, a less bitter pill (laughs) to swallow. So there is this crate CSV, uh, reader In the show notes of this episode, I will report all the links of the crates that I'm going to uh, speak about. So you load your data. What you get is a file descriptor, and then the file descriptor is passed to this crate, and the crate returns a, a handle to, um, you know, a, a bunch of memory. <laughs> it's not really a data frame yet. It's just a chunk in memory where your data is, right? So that's where Rust leaves you. Now, what happens next is that you have to do something that essentially all computers do. Python too; they just don't tell you. Uh, you know, they hide all that stuff behind one command, but don't think that you know. In Rust, we are we are supposed to do more things than than Python. It's exactly the same, in fact. What I'm talking about is the serializer deserializer that takes that chunk of memory uh, slash raw data and starts formatting these things into. Uh, you know, these bytes into something more structured, for example, the 130 columns that we mentioned, and, uh, you know, each column has its own data type, there are strings, there might be integers, floats, and so on and so forth, right. So that's exactly what the serializer, in fact, the deserializer does. Now, in Rust, there is a crate that I've been um, discussing about in another episode about the data model in Rust that heavily uses uh, Serde. Um, which stands for serializer, deserializer. And that's probably one of the most used crates in the, in the Rust community uh, or in the Rust ecosystem, in fact, because you serialize and deserialize stuff almost all the time when it comes to algorithms. So what CRT does is uh, essentially unpacking or structuring all these you know spaghetti bytes in memory into something more structured. And so what you have to do is definitely defining how would you like your bytes to look like, right? And so for example, I would like to uh, look at my data frame in a much more ordered way, which is in this case, 130 columns, every column has its own type. Um, and so I would like my data to be structured like that. Now, what you usually do with Serde is defining this schema, right? As a struct, which can be done manually if for example, the number of columns is, you know, approachable. If you have a dozen columns, still okay. If you have a 100 columns, you know, defining the fields of this structure, uh, you know, manually, it's going to take, it's going to be time-consuming, error-prone operation, you don't want to do that. And so that's why there is another way to generate these things automatically. And so essentially parsing your records and um, generating the schema by parsing the records, uh, record by record. Right. And so essentially what you want to do is uh, scan your data and uh, parsing values. If you find an integer, you generate a, a field that is of type integer. If you find a float, you just parse. And if the parsing succeeds, you generate a string that uh, tells that in the schema there should be a float and otherwise you generate a, um, a field that uh, defines a string for that particular column. So in fact, you generate the schema uh, in a very simplistic way, but you know, it, it works. Um, when you have a, a lot of columns, you can just scan your data and parse things and generate data types uh, as you parse them, right? Now in Rust, there is one particular keyword that allows you to parse things optionally. So you might be parsing stuff that, you know, it's an integer, but it could also be that there's nothing in there. And so, you know, nothing is not an integer, so you want to parse something that is called option integer, right? And like in English, you know, you say it's an optional, um, it's not strictly there, can be there. If it's there, it's an integer. If it's not there, it's probably an error. And that's exactly what you do in in a scan. So, complexity there, linear with the number of rows, O of n, where n is the number of rows. Still, everything is under control. Now, let's move to uh, the next step when you have your schema, you have deserialized your uh, spaghetti bytes in memory, and uh, you have everything. I-, I should not call this spaghetti, I should just call it bytes, you know. <laughs> uh, some computer scientists out there might be offended if I keep saying. Uh, spaghetti bytes but you get my point. Uh, something that is not structured and becomes structured because you enforce a schema uh, on top of that, right? Okay, so the first operation I'm going to discuss is the filtering. So the filtering is what in, um, in Pandas, we call it slicing, right? So you want to select, for example, a particular column of your data frame. And of that column, you would like to select, for example, only certain values right and so you can slice your data frame and uh, select only the rows where a certain column has a value or selecting only certain columns and so on and so forth so it's like it's a simple slicing now to do this in rust of course it is possible after you have deserialized your data And uh, what you do is something very, very similar to what you do with Python, just that you know, it's a change of syntax, of course, a bit more uh, lines that you have to write nothing amazing here, and uh, nothing amazingly different. But when it comes to performance, um, 160,000 records and 131 columns uh, are processed with pandas, again, same slicing, and same values pandas takes three seconds rust takes 1.6 seconds so 50 percent speed up Uh, so that's impressive already you know we just changed language and you are going low level we are getting rid of the python virtual machine we're going straight to the memory and uh, deserializing there and slicing that's it memory usage pandas is quite inefficient when it comes to memory usage it uses up to 2.5 gigabyte uh, now the file is much, much smaller, but when you put things in memory, things start to blow up because you know, the internal representation depends pretty much on how the author of that library decided to represent that data internally. Not only that, much of the data is copied for several reasons that I'm not uh, I'm not expanding on here. but long story short, pandas requires 2.5 gigabyte of memory while Rust requires, 1.7 gigabyte, So it's another 30% of uh, cutting the costs of memory usage, which is impressive, you know, it's just one line of code in a different language, and gives you already this this improvement. Now where things get relatively nasty is on um, uh, other operations, for example, group by. So group by is one of those operations that are uh, are very well known in the literature. There has been a lot of uh, algorithms uh, out there that have been designed for facilitating group buy on the same machine, or having group buy on in a decentralized fashion or distributed fashion. And that's where you know the the smartest algorithm starts making a difference. But in this case, we're gonna refer to a standalone machine, probably one core, single-threaded application. Uh, so no big deal there. The comparison is really on on bare metal, right? So in uh, in pandas, when you want to group by, well, okay, the syntax of pandas is amazingly short. You take the data frame, you call the group by, you define the column on on which you want to group by, and then you provide also other columns where uh, you are defining a, an aggregation. So you say I want to group by column one, and uh, I want to sum column two and uh, make uh, an average on column three and uh, report only the counts of column four. Right? So for all the other columns that are under the group by you want to provide a, an aggregation method, right? And you can do this in uh, two lines of code, maybe one, if you are lucky, (laughs) if you don't have a lot of columns to, to aggregate on in Rust, this becomes a nightmare. So of course I cannot do code on a podcast, but believe me, in the show notes of this episode you will find the code to these uh, things I'm spo- I'm talking about. And when you compare pandas group by and Rust group by, you're gonna be shocked <laughs> because indeed uh, the the syntax of Rust for a group by, um, you know, and the, what you need to do to prepare that group by operation are uh, really time consuming and uh, definitely prone to error. And you probably, if you're not familiar with Rust syntax, you're probably gonna need a a couple of hours to do this. But once you do these things, you know, there is a, these are patterns, right? These are operations that are very much recurrent in in, in computer science, in all the algorithms that you write, be it a a regular data frame manipulation, be it a, a database engine or whatever, a group by, is a function that you would like to add to your arsenal uh you know code arsenal <laughs> and so next time you're going to need a group by of course you don't have to re-implement it from scratch you have it there you change some parameters you change column names and stuff like that and they're good to go so don't get frustrated when you see a you know group by takes more than 20 lines of code in rust and just one in pandas because these things can be reused and that's exactly the the purpose. But let's speak about performance. Pandas takes uh, almost three seconds, 2.8 seconds. Rust takes two seconds. So there is a a bit more than 30% uh, improvement in terms of time. And uh, as per the memory requirement or memory usage, uh, we have exactly the same as before 2.5 gigs for pandas and 1.7 for Rust. This depends pretty much on how pandas and rust represent data frames or well data in this case, in memory okay so that's just a way that the compiler decides how to align bytes in memory and what pandas or well the author of pandas library uh, decided to do with that respect we have i would say overall a 30 percent improvement both on time and a memory requirement memory usage i think it's also very very interesting 30 percent folks, is something that is already impressive in terms of performance. If you are dealing with production systems, observing a 5% or 10% improvement is already a big deal, especially when the system has been already kind of optimized. Having a speed up of 30% is impressive just by changing language. You're not changing architecture, you're not changing hardware, you're not changing platform. It's just a matter of hiring another developer. That's it. Now, where things become really, really interesting is on uh, in-place editing. So when uh, in Pandas want to, uh, when you want to change values in place, so you have your data frame, you perform a certain operation on each element of your data frame, and then you would like to write that result back to the same data frame, right? I, I believe this has happened to you a number of times already. And so you want to uh, essentially use the same data frame as an input and an output at the same time, right? So in-place is something that I personally try to avoid as much as I can. And also many of the big data engines out there try to avoid as much as they can, because when it comes to, for example, concurrency, in-place editing can be dangerous because it can leave different parts of your code that access the same data in an inconsistent state because you know depending on who reads first and then you add it in place and then you know the next owner of that particular data frame will read something that the other owners uh didn't read or have or haven't read yet so you know there are you have to control these inconsistencies via uh, you know mutex or guards we we have to go into the uh, discussion of uh concurrency and parallelism that's not the day but that's what we are used to do in uh, in pandas when you want to do this in rust again there's a bit more code to write Uh, not so much this time Um, i would say it's not a design pattern but it's something that definitely can be reused over and over again like before but when you hear about the performance well that's when things become really really different now because pandas takes something like 13 seconds and Rust takes less than two seconds. So, it's almost 90% speed up. 90% speed up. That's impressive. And when it comes to memory usage, Pandas requires almost five gigabytes, and Rust requires almost two gigabytes. So, it's more than 60% improvement or less memory uh, less memory usage for Rust. So, this is, you know, something that is really interesting and uh, really to to keep an eye on. We all knew that pandas do not scale for certain operations. In this particular experiment, we can see that pandas cannot scale for, uh, for example, line by line uh, lambda functions that are not custom built. So in pandas, there is a way to apply lambda function to each element of of the data frame or the column. And when these lambda are primitives, usually these things are optimized, uh, because they've been implemented in, uh, you know, they have a backend in C. Uh, and so it's fine, you know, you use Python just as a wrapper as a language that calls a, a, a backend written probably in C. So on large data, uh, you don't feel the difference because you know, except for the initial time spent in using uh, Python and uh, uh, using the Python bytecode and then calling the the C implemented backend, that delay uh, will be spread over uh, the fact that the data is pretty large. And so you do that call once and you enjoy the speed of the C engine for the rest of your data. But in this case, we don't have a primitive function, we have a custom function. So the lambda that we are applying to each element is custom, is defined by the user, and which means that it's pure Python. Now, if you try to run pure Python code on each element of your of your data frame, on millions of cells, for example, well, then you are in danger, <laughs> because that's exactly where, this is exactly where the performance is, is, is leaving you. And so that's why the difference here is massive. 13 seconds versus less than two, five gigabyte of memory versus less than two uh, is something that you really uh, have to keep an eye on because these are the type of numbers that uh, allow you to well in fact force you to think about rust or a low level implementation especially when you are dealing with for example uh, edge devices very limited hardware devices uh, or even mobile phones or devices that cannot dissipate too much energy or simply do not have so much memory and, uh, and you still would like to have those computations uh, performed on the device rather than on a centralized server. So, you know, Rust is not only providing better performance, but in this particular case is allowing you to continue with your project or not. So these are the cases where, in my opinion, Rust is unbeatable as C was when, you know, when Java came out, there were problems that Java could not solve. Uh, in many uh, of these critical situations. The last operation I'm gonna discuss today is the merge operation. So merging two data frames. Also, this is something that we have been doing in Pandas over and over again. You have two data frames, you define the column on the first data frame, a column on the second data frame, and you ask Pandas to merge them on the left column and the right column. So you want to merge the two data frames and have at the end a bigger data frame where the the two you know the two common columns or the columns you are merging on become one and you know that's the stitching part of the two data frames right how many times have I been doing this loads now can we do that in rust sure we can again this is another nightmare <laughs> because the the amount of code that you have to write to perform this merge can be tough. Um, To be honest with you, it took me some time to understand what uh, what that code was doing. So yes, it's definitely have to be honest here. uh, It's very, very much time consuming. But again, in a a fair comparison, we got uh, very similar results to what we had for the uh, in place editing, the usual performance pandas 23 seconds, rust, uh, a bit less than six seconds memory, uh, 12 gigabytes for pandas versus uh, 2.6 gigabytes for rust. So again, 75% and 78% improvement on uh, time and memory usage. So here you have to understand that, okay, at the beginning, if you are new to rust, it's going to take you a while to write that code. But as you get more and more familiar with rust, you know, you're supposed to take much less time developing these, you know, patterns that are very recurrent in your projects and you can reuse them over and over again. But the time that you spend to uh, write low-level code in a, I would say, much tougher syntax than Python, it's time that you save while your algorithm is running. Right? In this particular case, I'm not saying that you're writing code in 13 seconds, but that's what the speed up that you have on a, a simple 150,000 record file uh, now if you're dealing with millions of transactions think about a bank this can take hours right if you're trying to merge stuff that goes over the gigabyte in in terms of disk space uh, well this can take hours or can just become prohibitive if you're, instead of merging on two columns, you start merging on multiple columns, or instead of uh, having an in-place uh, replacement with uh, a simple algebraic operation, you have uh, a, a very nasty mathematical formula that takes a while to calculate, right? These are situations in which coding time can definitely be balanced back with uh, execution time. Uh, Of course, you have to analyze your particular use case. And that's why, you know, if I want to conclude this episode, uh, I would say, go with pandas when it comes to relatively small data sets. So when you are below, for example, 500,000 lines or records, I would go with pandas, I would not even think of, uh, uh, of using Rust or leveraging Rust power for 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 such things, unless, of course, my project is written in, in Rust. It's natively designed with Rust in mind. Uh, all the other components are Rust. So I'm, I'm obliged to. Uh, but that's that's another use case. You know, that's the case in which you don't really have a choice uh, in terms of language that you have to use. But in all other cases, when you are experimenting, there is a limit what you want to you know use a rifle or a cannon. It depends on your particular uh, on the size of your data in a particular scenario. I would use Rust when I have really complex operations, when I have a lot of memory constraints, when I have functions that I have designed myself, they are not primitive functions. And especially when I want software that scales, which means that there are multiple owners accessing, for example, data, the same data. And so I might be running into race conditions, I might be running into locking mechanisms that slow down my entire pipeline, because there are multiple owners or, or multiple consumers of the data that I'm sharing across. So you know, there are these particular situations where rust is designed for. And so you, you know, that's a no brainer. But in all other cases, I would say, the right answer is always in the middle. I've seen already a number of times converting, you know, loading data frames uh, from pandas, doing the transformations that you need to do, the stuff that pandas is good at. For example, pandas is good at map-reduce operations. And then store these intermediate representations after the transformation to disk or as an array or as a chunk of raw data. And then you load these things from Rust and you continue your pipeline uh, with Rust. You know so you take kind of the best of both worlds and so you uh you use pandas as long as pandas is performing and then when it's time to switch you make that switch and um and you know the fact that pandas is very well is it's much more mature when it comes to for example loading different formats rust is not yet there it will be there i'm sure but um, for the time being of course in the rust community there are many other priorities rather than uh, you know uh, manipulating data the pandas way but of course we are all welcome to contribute to the uh, rust ecosystem and provide some of the tools that we use on a daily basis so that's something that i definitely would like to see if i have some time i would contribute myself uh, of course Um, and i will also provide in the show notes of this episode some of the tools that are more you know usable for a data scientist for a A machine learning practitioner. So there are some crates that are really interesting and to keep an eye on. So to conclude, when you change from uh, a very well-known library like Pandas to Rust, you might be expecting speedups that go from two times to 50 times improvement. And so that's something that, as I said before, it's something that you have to really consider when it comes to projects that are uh, living on the edge, so-called, uh, edge devices for example or minimal hardware and stuff like that that's it for today i hope you enjoyed the show and uh, of course i would love to see you on our discord channel you will find the link in the show notes of this episode at the official website datascienceathome.com. see you there